Thus says the Lord. Somebody say, thus says the Lord. Say it like you're up. Say, thus says the Lord. Amen. Do you believe in what God says? Because I want to ask you something. If you believe that God can speak, then that means God can speak right now. If you believe that God has spoken, then you believe God can speak right now. Do you believe God has spoken in the past? Then that means God can speak right now. He may not speak scripture. It may not be something we write down, but it can be spoken to your heart. What is the difference between what God speaks to your heart and what is now in scripture is scripture is for everybody for all times and all places. But what God speaks to your heart is a word for you in that moment. There are moments that you got to be able to get into. In other words, there are seasons that you've got to be ready to come in and out of. There was a word that God spoke to me and said, don't date. Now, that wasn't written in the scripture, but that was written to me in my heart by the Holy Spirit. Now, how many are happy that God told me eventually to date? Amen. Do you love Nancy? How many love Nancy here? You probably would love her whether I married her or not, but you get my point. I mean, aren't you happy I have a family now? Aren't you happy I have children now? So there was a time God said, don't date. And then there was a time that God said, date. So did he contradict himself? No, he was just speaking words to me in seasons. And what we need to do is be able to go back to the prophets and say, if God was speaking to them, God can speak to me. That's why we're in this series, Thus Says the Lord, a study in the prophets, because I want you to be able to go back to the Bible and hear what God was saying to people that apply to all of us. And if you can know the standard that applies to all of us, then you'll begin to learn how to hear those individual words that apply to you. Because if God knows how to speak to the prophets, to you in this word today, you will trust him and let him speak to you tonight because he'll speak to you about your family. He'll speak to you about your, your school, your finances. He'll speak to you about your job. God speaks to me about things that are incredibly important to me, but unimportant to people. Like you may say, Joe, I, I don't know why God would ever take the time to tell you something like that. If I would tell you all the things God tells me, you might say, man, Joe, you're crazy. You're just thinking about God too much. You're making this stuff up. But I, I can't put it in words to you how incredibly important it is to me. It's incredibly important for me to know my God cares about the small activities of my life that may not be important to anybody else. Just certain things that are between me and God. Like I said, if I were to take the time and share them with you, they probably wouldn't even benefit you right now because they wouldn't apply to you. They would not be relevant to your life, but they are dear to my life. So we start with what's relevant to everybody. This is relevant to everybody. This is what God spoke to Jonah. And the word that we're going to get from Jonah today is that God is a compassionate and gracious God. Say this with me. You are gracious and a compassionate God. So go to Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 and let's learn about this story. And as we get ready to read, I want you to learn it afresh if you've learned it before in Sunday school. Because most of you have heard this story about Jonah and the, the whale, right? It's technically a big fish. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want you to learn this as if you had never heard it before. Open up your mind to it because I guarantee you, you're not going to hear it like this. But even if you've heard it before, don't think you understand the story and you just miss what I'm saying now. You check out and start looking at your phone. I want you to be like, I've never heard it before. I want you to be like this child sitting right here next to Yolise, maybe hearing the story of Jonah and the big fish for the first time. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. You can follow along online with the notes or on the screen. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And this is the word of the Lord. This is the thus says the Lord that came to Jonah that we're supposed to learn from. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Just stop right there and get verse numero uno. Get it right here. This is not the kind of message most churches are wanting to hear. Just, just get this. This is not the kind of message you're going to hear in most churches. But what did God tell Jonah to do? He said, I want you to go preach against Nineveh. Go preach against it. Go tell them I'm done with them. Now, how many have heard the saying, only God can judge me? And how many know that should scare you, right? That should scare you, only God can judge you. But did God say, I'm coming personally and telling them I'm going to judge them? 
No, he said, I'm sending you to go tell them I'm going to judge them. Somebody got excited in this place. Come on, think about what we do in this church and now put it with that scripture. We are supposed to go tell the judgment of God. People think that's unbiblical, like you don't love them or something. That is the best thing you can ever do for somebody. This is a book of love. This is a book of grace. This is a book of compassion. But it also tells you what happens when you don't do the right thing. And God is very clear with Jonah. He says, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So at this time, it's good to get a little history. Let's go into a little bit of history here. Nineveh is the capital city of the country Assyria at this time. Nineveh is actually the largest city in the world at this time. Over 120,000 people in one place, largest city in the world. And during this time, the nation of Israel is split up into two groups. They were 12 tribes. Ten went into one kingdom and two went into another kingdom. This is going to play out further in other books of the prophets like Isaiah, Nahum, and others because eventually Assyria will take over the 10 tribes of Israel, that part of the kingdom. These are some bad dudes. Even at this time, the Israelites hated the Assyrians because they were their enemies, always picking on them, and they had good reason to be concerned because, like I said, eventually they take them over. But before they were taken over by Assyria, God wants Nineveh to be saved. God wants Nineveh to be spared. God cares enough about the largest city in the world that he sends a prophet to them to say, I'm against you. So let me ask you a question. Does God love you enough to tell you he's against some of your behavior? Amen. Does God love Chicago enough, come on, to tell us he's against some of our behavior? Yeah, does God love America enough to tell us he's against some of our behavior? Yes. So this right here, this preaching of a man to a city is actually a loving endeavor. Everybody get that? Preaching God's judgment when done right with the heart of love is an endeavor of God's grace. So that means when we go out and preach to people and they say, only God can judge me and you don't love me, we can go right here to Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 and we can say, no, that's the exact opposite. Number one, God loves you so much, he has told us he's going to judge you. Because he doesn't want to do it, but he's telling us he's going to do it based on your behavior. How many parents here just love spanking their children, making them cry, taking away their gifts, their toys, or whatever? How many love doing that? We hate it, don't we? I never understood that statement. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you until I became a parent. I don't want to spank my children. I don't want to take away things from my kids. I actually plan activities with my kids, and when they do something wrong and they can't go on that activity, it actually hurts me because I was like, man, I wanted to take all of you to Chuck E. Cheese, but one of you acted bad, so I'm going to have you stay home with mom as she stays home with Titus, our little one. And that hurts me because I'm like, man, I wanted you to be here, or we're going to go to the carnival. We're going to do this, but you've done something wrong. You've got to stay home. And that's how I have to do that because I love them even though it's heartbreaking. Out of my love for them, I go through the heartbreak because what I can't do is affirm that behavior and then call that love. Because if I affirm that behavior and show that I'm not against that behavior, then what I'm doing then, watch, is I'm showing them that I'm not really the character or the person they think I am. I show you just as much about me when I show you what I hate as as much as when I show you what I love. Right? Don't you get that? You learn a lot about a person by what they hate just as much as what they love. And guess what? I hate some things too. And the Bible actually teaches that. Love what's good, hate what's evil. I hate racism. So what did you just learn about me? You learned that I'm not, not going to tolerate it. I'm not going to be around it. I'm not going to support it. Why? So you just learned something about me. I hate inequality. I hate all these other things, right? So you get something about my character through that. And so if God would let Nineveh slide and just be like, well, you know what? I don't care about these guys. I'm just going to judge them all and send them to hell anyway. Then, then you know what? That, that, that's going to be my punishment. They deserve it. Then you know what? God really wasn't looking out in love. It's actually God looking out in love to give Jonah a message to say, tell them I'm against them. Tell them I don't like what they're doing. Tell them I justly can punish them, but I'm going to give them a chance. 
Now, right here, as you can see in my notes, I put 2 Kings a passage there. And the reason why I did that is because sometimes people try to say the story we're going to learn is a myth and that Jonah was just made up. There's actually another part in the Bible where this prophet does another work of the Lord. This is an actual figure. This is an historical figure of the Israelites. So when we get to the miracle of him getting swallowed up by a big fish, I don't want you to think that this just puts it in fairy tale land. Just because miracles insert into our historical narratives doesn't mean the historical narrative is now a myth. This is a legitimate true story. There was a legitimate guy named Jonah who was a prophet, and God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against them. Let's see what happens Let's see if you've ever been in this position, if God asked you to do something and you acted like Jonah right here. Verse 3, it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. (laughs) Oh, it gets quiet when I talk like that. That's that's okay. Uh, Because all y'all preach just the way Jesus told you to preach. And you guys always go where Jesus told you to go. Okay, let's just look at this again and think about our neighbor, not ourselves, right? Because this ain't us. This is the second service people, right? But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, which is the exact opposite direction. So God said, I want you to preach against them. I want you to go do ministry over here. I want you to go over here downtown Chicago and do this. And and then Jonah said, man, I'm heading out to Aurora. I'm going way over here. I'm running away. I'm going to the suburbs, man. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. Come on. How many of us can relate to running away from what God told you to do, from what God told you to say? Because that message is not going to be a fun message. Let me go to Las Vegas, the place of partying. Let me go to the place of wickedness or New Orleans or whatever party capital you could think of. Or let me go to South Beach, Miami, and let me tell them that God hates what they're doing and is about ready to judge them all. That doesn't sound like a vacation. That doesn't sound like something I want to do. In the natural, if you're not thinking about things through God's perspective, that's not something you want to do. And Jonah was in the flesh. Jonah had an opportunity to be the man of God he was supposed to be as he was in other parts of the Bible, but no, he runs away. And we're going to find out where he, why he runs and where he's going and what he's trying to do here in just a minute. So he goes aboard this, uh, this ship. He pays the fare. He went aboard it, sailed for Tarsus to flee from the Lord. He's just running from the Lord. Verse 4, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So now God is sending a storm because God cares enough about Jonah that he wants Jonah to be obedient. Now, sometimes God will put us in difficult circumstances to get us back on track. Now, I want to be careful when I say this because oftentimes we think of every difficult circumstance as God doing it because we didn't do something right. And I don't want you to feel that way because bad things can happen to good people, okay? Like my wife and I, we were in a car accident. God wasn't trying to teach me some lesson out of that because I did something wrong before. Now God's like, I'm going to bust up your your wife's ankles, you know, put her, uh, you know, out of commission for a while. And then you're going to learn how to be a better dad and spend more time with your kids. Like there's good that can come out of bad. And I learned how to spend more time with my kids. That's true. But it wasn't God's desire to teach me that by breaking my wife's ankle in a car accident, okay? So let's not be superstitious as we believe in the supernatural. The difference between superstition and the supernatural is the superstition is just going out on its own like a force to do random things in the world. Supernatural things are sent and directed by God. So it's not like there's karma floating around and there's just these things that just happen to us for for whatever reason. You know, that's not true. If there is a lesson to be learned and God is sending it, God will be clear to you. God will be speaking it to you. That's why when people say, you know, when these hurricane comes, you know, these hurricanes come, places like Miami, is God punishing them? I'm like, no, because if God was going to send a hurricane as a sign of judgment, he would send it to the, you know, Washington, D.C. or something, you know, like so random and just like we all know that this is why it's coming. But Hurricanes happen where the water's at, okay? Like that's just part of what happened since the fall. And so now to try to attribute every single bad natural disaster or every bad thing in life and start calling it God's judgment or a lesson, you're going to, you're going to think our God is schizophrenic. You're going to think like one, one moment he likes the sunrise at the beach, and the next moment he wants to destroy everything. And one moment he loves you, the next minute he wants to crash a car into you. 
Listen to the story and hear exactly what's going on. This man knows he's running from God. He knows what he's doing, and now he's suffering something because he's running from God. So in other words, if he was never running from God, he would never be on a boat in a storm. Okay, so now let me make this clear. Some of your relationships are judgments from God because you should never be dating that person if you were dating the right one. Okay, everybody hear that? See, now I'm going to make it plain. That, that manager you have at that part-time job that you've been working at since you were 20, now you're 25, that manager messes with you so much because God wanted you to have a career and be somewhere else, and he allows that storm in your life because you shouldn't be working at Forever 21 forever. Okay, you, you should know how to grow up from that. That was cool when you were 18 and 19 and 20, but you got to come to another level. And so there are things in your life that are happening. There are things in your life that are happening that God is saying, I'm allowing the wind to come. I'm bringing a storm through this so that you can stop and think about where you left me and where you were running from me, what you stopped doing that I asked you to do. And so you need to look at storms of life, look at them, and just simply ask the Lord, am I supposed to learn something from this because are you trying to teach me something? Now, if God says, you know, like with the car accident, no, I'm not teaching you through the broken leg because you wouldn't have learned it another way and you deserve this now. No, no. But through the broken leg of your wife, I'm going to show you things and bless you that way. But ask God specifically, have storms come into my life? Look at the things you're most unhappy about right now, things that are like shaking up your boat. Look at those things and then be real with God and just go, God, Am I in these scenarios because of some things I've done wrong? Like, am I in relationships I'm not supposed to be in because I've done things wrong? Am, am I financially in situations right now because I've done things wrong? And then be honest with God and let him speak to you. And if you need help, talk to a one-on-one or a disciple or life group leader, and they'll help bring you wisdom. Can I hear an amen? So it's real simple. He's in a storm because he's running from God. Verse 5, all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And you know if sailors are afraid on a boat, you know you're in trouble. Just like if you see the, the stewardess on the plane, or the flight attendant, rather, on the plane, buckle up, you know the plane's about ready to get bumpy, right? Because normally, like, they're able to, like, move around when it's, like, you know, like that. But when they sit down and their face turns white, you know you're in trouble. That's when you need to start praying. So the sailors are now afraid, and they start calling out to their false gods, and then they throw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. You know it's crazy when you're throwing out stuff because they think they're going to die, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So here we see now that he's not really a lost sinner. He knows enough about God that he can rest through this because he ultimately knows, man, if this is God, we're going to die anyways. I might as well just go lay down and sleep because there's nothing I can do to stop this. And so we know from this that he's not so separated from God that he wasn't close enough to have a peace to sleep in a storm. And so this is what God can do. Listen to me. God can meet you in the midst of your storms and still give you peace and bless you even while other people are freaking out. And that's how you know that you're supposed to go back to the will of God is because God's still good to you. He's still faithful to you. Amen. So even though you're running from him, God is still with you, and he says, I'm not abandoning you. I, I'm not the one that left. You left me. And so he gets a deep sleep. So it's not a demonic sleep, in other words. It's not like the devil makes him fall asleep like he ate a po poisonous apple or something on one of those Disney shows. No, this is a real sleep, a real peace that he can have because he's close enough to God, even as running from the will of God, to understand all of this belongs to God anyway. And you'll see just in a little bit how it comes out. So he goes below deck, he lays down, he falls into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find who is responsible for this calamity. So in their mind, they know that this is so odd and so unique of a storm. Maybe it was literally a clear blue sky and the storm came within moments and the viciousness of it that now they know something spiritual is up, that, that there has to be something beyond just the natural here. So what they did in that time is they would cast lots, which is a way of like rolling dice. God even allowed it in the Old Testament 
for a way for people who are doubting him to get a word from him. We're not supposed to do this anymore. We're supposed to have a relationship with God. And as you notice, Jonah doesn't have to roll the dice. He knows exactly what's going on. So only those, in other words, have to roll dice and be kind of like asking God for signs who don't have a relationship with God. Those who have a relationship with God, we don't need to ask for signs. And just be careful when you're asking for signs because the devil knows how to give them too. Okay? So be careful when you open yourself up. Be careful because I've heard people say they've had dreams of false prophets. I had a dream that this guy was a, was a prophet, you know, and then now I follow that religion. Or they had a dream that they were, uh, you know, having a relationship with another woman that wasn't their wife, and they took that as a sign. So be careful when you start asking for signs. Always do it through the word of the Lord. But we'll find out about signs here in just a minute. But at this time, you know, God's, God's letting this, this casting of lots point the finger at Job. It says, come, let us cast lots, see who's responsible. They cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Uh, not Job before, you know I meant Jonah. So the lots they, they cast fell on Jonah. So that means now they know from rolling these dice, man, it's Jonah's fault. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? So who is doing this to us right now? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? How many know those are a lot of questions? But how many know if you're about ready to die because somebody is cursed on your boat, you want to know some stuff? Okay, now he answers, and this is where we get to understand a little bit more about Jonah. We get to learn about him. He answered, he said, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry ground. See, that's why he was able to sleep, because he knew who his God was. God made all of that, so he was at peace. Um, one man tells the story. Uh, I was listening to him. A preacher was telling the story about being on a plane where it was going bad, and uh, something was out with the engine, you know, and all the, the stewardess, they're freaking out, and it's going to be kind of like a crash landing. It's a situation where, you know, it could get very, very dangerous, and the preacher's sitting there, and he's just chilling, you know. He's looking at his Bible. He's looking at, you know, just different things and relaxing, and the guy next to him is white-knuckling the seats and going all crazy, and, and, the, and the, you know, the guy looking at the preacher is like, man, how can you be so at peace? And the preacher goes, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? And the guy he goes, well, we could die. We could die. And he looked at him. He goes, that's a good thing for me. I get to go see Jesus. You see what happens when we love Jesus? We don't fear death. We don't fear death. And so we know who's the maker of heaven and earth. And so now we know why he was at peace, okay? But he knows he's running from God. So once again, he's not in a right relationship with God. This is what we call a backslider. So this terrified them. Look at verse 10. This terrified them because now they know what's going on. So they asked him, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So he must have been making small talk with them that, that probably they didn't take very serious. Like, hey, man, what are you doing here? Oh, yeah, man, I'm just running from the Lord. He asked me to go to Tarsus, I mean, uh, to Nineveh, but I'm heading to Tarsus. I don't want to preach there. And they didn't take it that serious. Now that the whole boat's about ready to go down, they're asking all those same questions again. And now they're like, oh, my gosh, your God is pretty powerful because, yeah, he's upset with you. And look at verse 11. It says, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea. So that is, that is like how bad he knows it is right now. He's like, guys, the only way we're getting out of this is you basically just kill me. Just throw me off the sea. You know, throw me off the edge into the sea. And so we see the humor in this, but we also see once again that he has the understanding of who his God is. So if he's going to die, he's going to die, or some miracle will happen. And he says, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Somebody say, I know it's my fault. I wish I could preach a whole nother sermon on, I know it's my fault. I just wonder if there's anybody here that is causing problems in their life, in their job, in their community, and is willing to just own up to it and go, I know it's my fault. I know it's my fault. I know it's my fault why I don't get along with my neighbors. It's because I'd be messing around at 3 o'clock in the morning and doing stuff that I shouldn't do. And, yeah, I, yeah it's, it's my fault. Yeah, I know why uh, my wife's not happy with me right now because I'm never home. I'm never there. I'm always working. Yeah, it's my fault. I understand why my city's corrupt and, and why there's no good politicians here because I keep voting for the ones that promise me the most handouts. It's my fault. Yes, I understand why churches are backslidden. In now because I go to these churches and don't make, make an issue out of all the sin. I go there so I can hide. I know it's my fault. 
I wonder if there's anybody here today can look at the situations they're in, watch, that are also affecting others and can say, I know it's my fault. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus, for that, Revy. I just wish we all could get a little taste of that. I need that. I need that. You need that. You have got to sometimes just own up and go toss me overboard because I know it is my fault. Send me to counseling, honey, because I know it's my fault. I'm not going to run from any middle. I'm going to go meet with Birdo. I know it's my fault, boss. I will do better. It is my fault. I'm tired of blaming other people. It's my fault. Is everything my fault? No, not everything's my fault, but there are some things that are my fault. And what is my fault is what I can change by God's grace. Amen? So he says, I know it's my fault. Just throw me over. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. Because that's a crazy request to throw somebody over the seas. And sometimes we look back at the old times and we're like, man, that's nothing. Throw the dude over. But dude, come on, put yourself in that position. Imagine we're on a plane and we're getting through a lot of tribulation. And the guy says, hey, it's my fault. And, then, and we're like, hey, how do we solve the problem? He's like, open the door and throw me out. Like, how many know we're all going to think about that for a little bit? I mean, yes, we want to be safe, but there's a part of us that are not going to be, like, really willing to want to do that. Now, there are some people that you would just want to throw out, but I'm not talking about this. Jonah was a good dude. They didn't want to throw him out like that. So he goes, you know what, do it. And they don't want to do it, so they keep trying to row, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, and this is a good prayer right here. They said, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. So they're just like, God, you know, we're going to throw him over, but please don't judge us for this. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. So they know immediately after they throw him overboard that the weather changes, and there must have been a supernatural cause of this storm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, this is not to their false god. This is to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God, and they made vows to him. Now, look at verse 17, and as we get ready to read verse 17 of, of this first chapter, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe Genesis 1-1 where it says, in the, god, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? Do you all believe that? Then we can believe this. There's nothing illogical about this. It may not be common, but there is nothing illogical, irrational about this statement. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, as you see, I have the word fish there highlighted on our notes. You can go back and check it out. Obviously, let's just use common sense, guys. Obviously, when this book was written around 700 BC, they didn't make distinguishing, distinguishing names between a swimming fish, like, like a one that breathes through its gills, a gills, and another kind of fish, like a mammal fish that breathes through an air hole, like a whale, or, you know, a, 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 what do they call those things? A, a seal and a dolphin. Thank you. So, we don't have to be like all like scientific with the Bible. Be like, it's wrong. See, it says a fish. And then you guys said it was a whale. Well, first of all, anybody who said it a whale was a whale went outside of the scripture to begin with. It never says whale. We're the ones that say things that are big enough to swallow humans are like whales. So then we put that word there, and then now people try to come back on us and say we're stupid for saying a whale is a fish. And you Christians know better. Well, in 600 BC, anything that swam in the water to them was a fish. Okay, does everybody get that? And we used to think like that too until we came up with words that distinguish the, the things that swim in the water that breathe through gills and the ones that come up. Okay, so let's just get past that. The whale word is not even found there, just fish. The second thing is, guess what? Fish can get big enough to swallow you too. A shark is a fish, and there are great huge sharks that don't gnaw on people like great whites. They kind of look like whales. You can look them up, and they, they just eat like whales do, and they could swallow you up. And then there's huge fish that we see all the time, like grouper and other kinds of fish that can become the size of a car and swallow a person. So here's the deal. Whether it was a huge fish the size of a, uh, you know, a semi-truck or a whale-type fish, or whether it was a medium-sized fish, I don't even care. The bottom line is he got swallowed up by it, and my Bible says, it happened. Now, let me pause right here and tell you how I put my trust in this, even though I can't find any archaeological evidence of it, even though there's some stories of people being swallowed up by big fish, and there's, there's a link, the link there has those stories. But go with me quickly to Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. My Jesus believed in Jonah getting swallowed by the fish, and how many trust Jesus? 
So that just settles it for him. My Jesus didn't teach myth. My Jesus taught truth. And my Jesus said this happened. And it's not irrational. It's not illogical that a big fish could swallow a person. We'll talk about how he could survive for three days and three nights in just a moment. But just follow along as I show you what Jesus believed. Matthew chapter 12. Look at it, verse 40. It says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay, so did Jesus believe this story? Should you believe this story? Amen. There's no reason not to believe this story. Now, the question is, how would somebody survive with, you know, the acid and the different things inside of a fish's belly? How would they be able to breathe if there's not really any oxygen in there? All of those questions, different theologians come up with different guesses, but we don't know. The first option is the option I agree with, which is Jonah probably died in that whale. He died, and God resurrected him and spit him out, and that's why Jesus uses that as an example of his resurrection. That solves the problem right there. God preserved a man in the belly of a whale as he was dead for three days, resurrected him just like how Lazarus was raised, spits him out, boop, and says, go and do your thing. And so when we hear the prayer of Jonah, this is when he comes back from the dead. That's what I believe. A lot of theologians believe that. Another just kind of way, just, you know, just God allowed him to die, preserved in the whale's belly, kept safe, and then spit out. Or it's just things were going on in that whale that God allowed for him to live. So there was oxygen provided in that whale because of the, the pressure and the things in the stomach allowed it to remain in there. Or he was in a certain compartment of the stomach where there wasn't enough acid. And so you can go through that link and learn about those two different options. But for me, the real simple option was he was in a place where the acid wasn't dead, not needing to breathe, and then he comes from the dead with this prayer on his lips, as, as we've heard other people come from the dead. He comes from the dead with this prayer on his lips, and God says, you've learned your lesson, and he spits them out, okay? Let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. I believe this is after three days and three nights, and he has been dead. He comes to life, and he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. Does everybody understand where I come up with my idea that he was dead? Okay, it says right there, from the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to me. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. So something simple to how he could have died is he could have drowned, and as he's drowning and floating down, as he's floating down, here comes this peaceful fish and kind of just swoops him up. I just was watching the end of the Lord of the Rings after they were basically almost dying there on the rocks and then the eagles come and sweep them up. Does anybody like Lord of the Rings? And then like they're just laying there and they get sweep, sweep you know, they go up in the air and they fly is the word I was looking for. They fly. Uh, so he could have just drowned and now he's sinking down and then this, this nice little fish comes and they just puts him in his belly and says, I'll keep you here until the Lord tells me to spit you out. I believe that. How many believe the Bible? Amen. And remember, we've talked before in our worldview. If you don't believe the Bible, put your thing up against this and watch the hammer of the word crush it. Amen. Okay, so he said, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. That's why when I believe he's drowning. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. So I think as he's dying, he's saying his last words, like, God, I, I kind of blew it here, and I know I deserve to die, so I'm going to die. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep waters surround me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. So you guys getting the understanding here. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. So he's going down into the deep part of the oceans. And the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now listen to what he says right here in the middle of his prayer, verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. I want everybody to hear this. This is so important. In Job's, uh, Jonah's prayer, he says, those who worship idols turn away from God's what? Turn away from God's what? His love. So let me ask you a question. Does God love everybody? Yes, but can you turn away from him? 
So when people are worshiping Allah and the Muslims are praying towards Mecca and then they die and they go to hell, is that because God hates Muslims? No, it's because when they chose to worship those idols, they turned from God's love. They turned away from God's love. When those in the LGBTQ community practice their wickedness and then they die and suffer an eternal hell, as the Bible says, the perverse will go, the sexually immoral will go, is that because God does not love them. No, it's because they turned away from God's what? They turned away from God's love. Now think about it like this. All those who are in hell are in hell because they turned away from what? God's love. There is no one in hell that has not been loved. Get it? Was Hitler loved by God? Yeah, but what did he do? He turned from God's love. Are you listening? All the idolaters of the past, all of the wickedness of the past, was there anybody that ever was on this planet that wasn't loved by God? No. So anybody that's in hell today, can they point the finger back at God and say, you didn't love me. You didn't care about me. You just sent me here because you wanted to take away my fun. No. Everyone who suffers God's judgment are there, according to Jonah, because they clung. Think about that. They clinged to their worthless idol and turned away from God's love. Can Fortnite become a worthless idol for young people? Yeah, you can put it before God if you're not careful. Can your boyfriend or girlfriend become a worthless idol, something you put before God? Yeah, anything. How about your education? How about the idea of your dream, your plans for life? Can those become idols? Yes, and they take you from God. So ask yourself this question. Come on, Christians. Are there any of us here today that are clinging to worthless idols and turning away from God's love? Now look at verse 9 at the end of his prayer. He says, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. How many know he's ready to preach now? Amen. He said, I learned my lesson, God. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. See, can we believe that? Did God have a reason for that? Yes, he did. What was the reason? He was running from God. He wanted to show him, I care enough about you to send storms into your life to get you to jump overboard back into my plan. And jumping overboard is not hurting yourself, but jumping back into God's plan. He was trusting God enough to say, I'll die right now if I have to, but I'm going to do it God's way. And then God sent a whale, a miracle, to provide for him the space to be able to be safely brought to land. And it was close enough to the edge of Assyrian's empire that it says now he goes to Nineveh and he's right there. So we see that he got off the dry land and he's ready to be obedient. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. How many know he's ready to listen a second time? How many of you are ready to listen to God a second time if you've already learned your lesson the first time? How many of you are on the third or fourth time God's speaking? How many? Come on, let's be honest. How many of you on the fifth time God telling you to do something? Okay, let's just keep it real. Don't lie in church, amen? It said God came to him the second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. took him three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming. Now, look at what he proclaims, and keep in mind what our culture says, like, only God can judge me, only God can judge me. Look at what he says. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was his message. Now, watch this. The Ninevites believed God. Come on, somebody. They actually did something about that message, didn't they? I was preaching yesterday at Pulaski and Madison, and I believe, Edwin, you said four people believed God, and they got saved. Not all of them, but four people believed God. 
It's up now to the people whether or not they believe your story about what you're bringing to them now. Because all of us are in some way going to be like Jonah, coming with a word of judgment to people who are still in their sin. And maybe we haven't been swallowed up by a whale, but we've had encounters with God where we've run away from it. I mean, I can tell you stories where I have run away from what God wanted me to do, and I had to hear the second call, the third call, the fourth call. Come on, somebody. And God gave me that word again. But then, listen, now it's not on me to make you believe. It's just on me to preach it, and it's up to the people to believe. And so I want you to be encouraged that there are people who are going to believe. You believe, didn't you? You come to the church. You love Jesus. You go to the Bible study. What's the difference between you and the worst sinner in your life right now? If God did it for you, can he do it for them? Don't we have former lesbians in this church? Don't we have former homosexuals in this church? Don't we have former gangbangers in this church? Don't we have former liars and corrupt people in this church? Don't we have former uh, adulterers in this church? Don't we have former people that had abortions in this church? I mean, every sin you can go through, even some murderers, maybe God check on them, amen. Uh, some former gang members testified. I'm like, maybe you should stop testifying right now. <laughs> I might have to report you to the popo. But we may have some real crazy people getting saved in this church. Because you know everybody, by the way, and this is not look down on the gang members, but there may be some people in this church, you can't tell your full testimony because then it starts scaring people, you know? Like you got to give them like the, like the censored version because we all had some crazy past, amen? And some of our pasts were very much ashamed of. But hear me on this. The Ninevites believed God. Now go back to that passage, Matthew chapter 12. Go back quickly, Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. But I'm going to start in verse 38, though. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. And I want you to see this. The reason why Jesus brought up Jonah is because people of Jesus' day weren't believing him. And then he said something about Jonah's day. Let's go there, verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, talking to Jesus, we want to see a sign from you. So they didn't believe Jesus had the real word of the Lord or was the Messiah, so forth. So they said, prove it, give us a sign. Now notice this. God is not happy about them asking for a sign. See, those pagans, they could roll dice and get a sign. See, God will have mercy on those who don't know what they're doing. Maybe give them a dream. Maybe do something with, with, with the, the weather, like with Jonah and those times. But people who are supposed to know better, look at what God says. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So Jesus says, y'all want me to do a sign? I'm not going to do nothing except like what Jonah did. And then what did Jonah do? For as Jonah was in the belly of the, of the fish for three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And now look at verse 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn them. Do you know that men will help condemn other men as God gives the judgment? So like as God is like throwing down the judgment, we're going to be like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be right there with them. Look at the men of Nineveh will stand up with the Pharisees and go, yes, you were wrong for what you did. Look at it. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. That's, cha that's Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, gentlemen. I want you to get this. Get this right now. Jesus said, I'm greater than Jonah, and if they listen to Jonah but you don't listen to me, those people who listen to Jonah are going to judge you. Now, everybody get it. Come on, look up at me, please. The Bible now says we have the word of God from Jesus. If the people of this generation do not listen to Jesus, we'll stand up and condemn them. You say, but Joe, that's scary. Yeah, I know it's scary. That's why we should take God's judgment seriously. Because we will stand up in judgment with Jesus. That's how much he loves us because we obeyed him in the culture. We will stand up with him while he sends, come on, all of our friends and family to hell that didn't listen. We'll be like, I agree with that. My mom needs to go to hell now. My mom needs to be punished in the lake of fire. Why? Because she didn't listen to my Jesus. If my son or daughter didn't listen to Jesus and I'm standing with Jesus on that day, I'm not going to stand in front of Jesus and go, no, don't do that, Jesus. No, no, give Bethany another chance. I'm going to be like, send her to hell. She didn't listen to you, Jesus. Because all those who cling to worthless idols, 
turn their back on your love, Jesus. I'll condemn them with you, Jesus. There will be no godless pity, in other words. There will be no mercy on top of the mercy of God. The mercy of God is already given now. And so we will stand in judgment of the generation that we were a part of that didn't listen to the word. So when they see us and they hear the message of judgment, not only are they going to be accountable for it before God, but they're going to be accountable to dairy. They're going to be accountable to all of you here in this church to whether or not they listen to Berto, to Josh, to Adolfo, to Edwin. They will give an account to God and you. So when people say, don't judge me, they should be saying the exact opposite. Please judge me right now. I want to know what the judgment is. Y'all say you're Christians. Show me in the word what God has said. Show me thus says the Lord. Show me thus says the Lord. Come on, give me the judgment. We should be crying out. And if I'm in sin, I say the same thing, people. Give me the judgment. Because you're going to be there on my judgment day, the Bible says. And you're going to be there part of what condemns me. And why are we there? Come on, everybody think about it. Why are we there condemning our own family? Whoever doesn't know Jesus, why are we there? Because we're showing the goodness of our God. I'm going to say it again. We're showing the goodness of our God. We're trophies of his grace. And we're literally saying to them, y'all could have had exactly what I had. You could be right where I'm at because he was good. Bethany, he was good. And I hate putting my daughter as an example. She's going to go to heaven in Jesus' name, amen. But I'm just, I'm just giving an example. So-and-so, you should have listened to him. You should have listened to him. I was no better than you. I was in the same kind of mess you were in, but I believed. See, the Ninevites believed God. Believed God. And then Jesus brought them back up again and said, these kind of people who believe God, they're going to stand in judgment of those who don't. Let's go back to this story and close it out. Y'all ready to end it and do something for Jesus? Amen. We're going to be Jonas to this generation, not running away from the Lord, but running to the Lord. It says in verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. Then a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So this city starts to repent. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. Do you see I highlight? highlighted the word proclamation there. Can I tell you a little bit of history about Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving really has nothing to do with the pilgrims and what you think it is. When we came to this country, people began to have prayer meetings and, and yearly proclamations of national repentance. National repentance like the proclamations here. Read George Washington's first Thanksgiving address. It wasn't until Roosevelt into the 1900s that they made it an official holiday, and then all of the people started making these uh, cultural traditions to fit with it. And then now everybody knocks them down, you know, the pilgrims, the Native Americans. That had nothing to do with it. That was commercialism in, in the 1940s to make Thanksgiving sellable to the American people. But what Thanksgiving was from the day of the colonial times was a proclamation throughout the country to pray and to fast and to repent of our sins. And we had them all throughout the year. And it wasn't until Abraham Lincoln had received letter after letter after letter from one Christian woman that said, can you make a declaration where all of us have one day instead of multiple days of Thanksgiving and proclamations, we have one day to do it. And then that's when he picked it in November and began to do it and then read Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving address. Both George Washington and Abraham Lincoln in their address says, let's be thankful to God for what he has done for us, and then let us repent for all the evil we've done. George Washington prayed that, and then Abraham Lincoln prayed that, and then that's the way it used to be until once again, what happened in the 60s? Let's separate what? Church and state. And now we celebrate uh, Christmas and Easter, and you can't even talk about Jesus in a public school. I, you know, I just watched another movie about Christmas and not one real reference about Jesus except in passing about a joke. And I'm thinking to myself, this is so ridiculous. People may even grow up in this culture right now and not even know it's about Jesus. 
I wouldn't be surprised, especially those who have come here from other countries with different religions, maybe from India or from the Middle East or from Asia. I would not be surprised if there are people today in our city celebrating Christmas that have no idea it was based on the birth of Jesus. Now, whether or not you celebrate those holidays is up to you, but this was a national proclamation of repentance. And I just wonder what would happen if President Trump, if our governors, uh, what's our governor, Pritzker? Pritzker, if he made a proclamation like this, what would happen in our land? Look at the proclamation of this wicked Nineveh king, but he was listening to the preaching of Nona. This is the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals or herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. That was just a way of them putting on um, kind of like potato sacks to show that they were going to be humble. Let everyone call urgently on God. Are you listening? What would happen if Governor Pritzker did this? So we're going to fast today and everyone call on God. Let them give up their evil ways. We're not going to do abortion anymore. We're not going to do LGBT anymore. We're not going to do murder anymore. This is a proclamation. Come on. Give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Now notice right here. Come on, everybody. Did the king say, I don't believe that judgment because who are you, Jonah, to judge me? You're just a man like me. Is that what the king said? He didn't say, who are you to judge me, Jonah? He said, Jonah, I believe the judgment you're saying to me. And not only do I believe it, not only do I put faith to it, but I say, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to stop doing the evil I've done. I'm going to start praying and seeking God. And then I'm going to ask everybody I influence to do the same thing. Pray, reach out to God, stop doing evil. Oh, to God that that would happen in our nation. When God saw what they did, the largest city in the world and one of the most pagan nations of the world's history when God saw what they did, verse 10, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Can I get uh, Vinny to come up, please? We're so far from this that we get upset with God even threatening who is God to threaten me? What is God threatening me? Haven't you heard people say, you mean God's going to send me to hell if I don't do what he says? What kind of God would do that? The kind of God who made you? Who put the entire universe here? Have you ever looked at how big our universe is? If the Bible says he holds it in his hands, he's not having a negotiation with you. He's not going to sit down and negotiate and slide over across the table some numbers. You're going to look at it and go, well, I'll repent of uh, some of those, but not all of those, God. Uh, how about this? And then you slide it back, and you're going to negotiate? You're going to negotiate with the creator of the universe? No. If there's anybody who has the right to threaten us, it's God. He loved us enough to threaten us. He loved us enough to say, I have to judge this. Because remember, if he doesn't judge it, then it shows his character is not holy. Come on. If I let my kids beat each other up in my house and I don't do anything about it, what does it say about my character? If God lets us keep doing what we're doing in this world and doesn't do anything about it, what does it say about his character? Now you want to know the reason why Jonah ran? I'm going to give you two options. You tell me which one it is. Jonah ran, number one, because he was scared of the Ninevites, and he just didn't want to face them. They were ruthless people. And so he ran because he was scared. That's one. Number two, he ran because he wanted them to perish and go to hell. And he didn't want them to get a second chance. Option one, he ran because he was scared. Option two is he wanted those jokers to perish. How many think it was option one? Be honest. Nobody's going to laugh at you. He was scared. Raise your hand. Okay. How many think it was option two? He just wanted those jokers to perish. Smaller two, one won, and one was wrong. He ran because he wanted them to perish. It had nothing to do with fear, nothing to do with it. He was already a mighty prophet. He will tell you right now why he ran. But, Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious 
and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than it is to live. He said, God, I knew you would want to save them. And I wanted them dudes to burn. Remember when Jesus was with his disciples and he was preaching and some of the people weren't listening and James and John, the brothers of thunder, the sons of thunder, said, should we call down fire on them right now? And, and Jesus said, man, you don't know what spirit you're of. We're not here to do that. Yes, judgment will come one day, but right now, mercy. I want to ask you a question. Are you so mad at the Muslims, so mad at the LGBT, so mad at what you see happening that you just want people to go to hell? Sometimes people think that's my attitude. Joe, you just want them to go. No, I don't. Let me ask you a question. If I wanted them to go to hell, then why am I preaching about God's judgment in hopes they repent? Because if I really wanted them to go to hell, wouldn't I do what Jonah did? Just run from Belmont and Clark? Wouldn't I just run from Madison and Pulaski? Wouldn't I just run from Prosser and just spend more time with my kids, work more at my hobbies, write more books? Because really, if I didn't love them, I wouldn't tell them about the judgment. I would be like Jonah, right? Watch, watch, watch. So those who are like Jonah and are running, even if they are scared, are really the ones who don't love and don't want to see change. See, you may not be running because of Jonah's reason, but you may be scared and you may be intimidated and you may be threatened by what your job is going to say or what your boss is going to say. But here's the point. That's not real love because God gave you the word. He gave you the word to speak to your family. He gave you the word. And he wants you to come back and speak to them. But the Lord replied, verse 4, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't even answer him. Then Jonah gone out. He went out, sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat down in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Like, come on, God, do it like Sodom and Gomorrah. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah's uh, head to give him comfort and to give him shade, to ease his discomfort. So God's still loving on him even with his bad attitude. And Jonah was very happy about that plant. Oh, thank you, God. But at dawn the next day, the Lord provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. So God basically killed that plant. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? So now Jonah's so mad that the plant was here and then it was gone. And Jonah says, yeah, I have a right to be angry. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. That's when you have a real bad attitude, right? But look at verse 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? Also, many animals. Go ahead and scroll all the way up. Sir Ban, would you come, please? Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus today. Amen. Come on. Come on. We love you, Lord. You are gracious. You are compassionate. Let's do this in closing. We're going to make a decision today to be the Jonas to this generation and hear what he's speaking to us and go share it with them. When I see you and I see you preaching the word of God, I see you like Jonah, loving Chicago. When I see you on Facebook, I'm not saying we always have to argue, but I see you on Facebook defending a post, I see you loving people. When I see you, Metro Praise, going out to neighborhoods that supposedly we're supposed to hate and want to go to hell, but when I see you there and I see them persecuting you, I see Jesus in you. I see Jesus in Edwin. I see Jesus in Anthony. I see Jesus in you. And I want to ask you this. Do you believe that our God is a gracious and compassionate God? Because that's why I go. Why do you go? Why do you invite your friends? Why do you Go out and hand out flyers. Why do you post up on Facebook? 
Is it because you know this, that God is slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity? Let's pray right now because you may be struggling with that if you don't believe it. Come on, how many of you have seen God be so angry that you don't think he wants to forgive? Ask for forgiveness right now. Altar workers, would you come, please? If you've been angry with sinners, come up and let us pray for you so you can start to have compassion again. I want to start with those who have just been overly judgmental because you don't really believe God is that good and you just want to see people perish. Come on up. I want to also talk to those right now before we go that if you've been running in the opposite direction and you know you are called to speak a word to such and such a person or such and such a community or such and such a family member, but you've been running for that, come up here quickly and get somebody to pray with you in agreement that you'll hear the word of the Lord and do it. And then lastly, if you're here today and you're saying, man, I know that I need to preach, but I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with speaking in other tongues. I want to have that same power that God gave the apostles in Acts. Come up, we'll pray for you. And of course, if you don't know Jesus and you want to have somebody preach it to you before you go, they can do that as well. We're going to dismiss. And if any of those things apply to you, I want you to come up and pray today. Pray that you'll see God as a loving God. Pray that you'll get over what's ever holding you back from being that preacher. You'll stop running away. You'll be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for today. Rise up, Jonas, in this place. That won't run away, but will run to you to fulfill the call you've put on their lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on.